You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The top executives from some of the country's largest grocery chains faced some hostility on Parliament Hill today about the high prices Canadians are paying for food. As Aaron MacArthur reports, they're downplaying their company's huge profits, even as many Canadian families are struggling to make ends meet. Sherry Burgi says day by day it's getting more difficult to feed her family. There we go. A hundred dollars at the grocery store buys less than it did last year. What used to fill five bags might fill three now. So I just don't find it it's very fair. I'm going to pay more and get less. Burgi's experience mirrored in every household across the country. According to the latest Canada Food Price Report, over the past year, the cost of bakery items has increased by nearly 15%. Vegetables up by 12.7% and fruit just a point lower. The prices for dairy up almost 10% and meat up almost 8%. The big winners, it appears, are grocery chains. Record profits across the entire sector. According to data, profit margins double that of what American grocery stores take in. The CEO of Loblaw, says the profit is being driven from areas of the company not food-related. Non-grocery products like financial services, apparel, and importantly, Shoppers Drug Mart, make up more than half our business. Despite the assertions, economists say the companies are not as transparent as they could be with that data. The profit they make from staple food items, the basic stuff that most Canadians eat each day, because uh, that information isn't readily available. Politicians are wondering the same thing. The heads of the three major grocery chains in the country testifying before committee on Wednesday. The answers did not seem to satisfy. If you're making more money than you've ever made, how much profit is too much profit? Reasonable profitability is, uh, is an important part of operating a successful business. Um, I think at a dollar out of $25 of sales, that's reasonable profitability. Executives from American giants Walmart and Costco will also be asked to appear before the Commons Committee. More talk that won't make Sherry Burgi's grocery bill shrink anytime soon. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And it doesn't end. Food prices are expected to climb 5 to 7% this year. According to the latest Canada Food Price Report, a family of four will spend just over $16,000 on food this year, an increase of more than $1,000 over last year. Well, as many municipalities are facing double-digit tax increases this year, there are questions tonight about how grant money from the provincial government can be spent and whether or not it can be used to bring those tax hikes down. With more, we're joined by Keith Baldry in Victoria. And Keith, there's some confusion about this. We've heard the grants have to be used for capital funding. We've also heard, though, that the money can be used at the discretion of the municipalities. Uh, some clarity from David Eby today. Yes, bottom line is municipalities can do what they want with this unprecedented amount of cash coming their way, courtesy of Victoria. But it's a little problematic and there's a catch to it. So everyone's talking about this because what Surrey's done. They've taken their $90 million, factored into the budget, and have reduced taxes by five points from 17 to 12.5. Before we get to Evie's comments, I want to show you some other cities in terms of what we're looking at tax increases. Surrey, 12.5, $90 million. Vancouver, almost 11% tax increase, but they're getting almost $50 million out of the blue that they didn't have when that 
that tax rate was arrived at. Port Moody, similar case, a high tax rate, $6.7 million. Victoria, over here, 9%. They're getting more than $12 million. Uh, Prince George, it's not just confined to Metro and the capital. Prince George in, in the middle interior, 8%, $12.5 million. Today, the Premier clarified and said, well, you, you can spend the money the way you want, but you've got to be transparent about it and accountable. You have to hold it in a separate fund. And be careful if you try to turn it into services. This is just a one-time payment, and that has serious budget implications for next year. Here's the Premier. To ensure accountability, we are requiring that the local government have the money in a segregated account uh, so that the people in the community can see how that money is spent. The downside of spending that money on operational costs versus capital costs uh, is that those operational costs are going to show up again next year. Uh, and so we're really encouraging uh, cities, regional districts to use this money for capital, and in particular uh, around growth. So again, using this money as the operational side of the budget basically kicks the can down the road because once you embed those, those service changes in your budget, you've got to pay for them again next year. So a tax cut this year might not be, uh, might show up as a tax increase next year as a result of doing, moving the money from capital over to services. Yeah, just delaying the pain. All right, thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. BC's Police Anti-Gang Task Force is showing off its haul from the takedown of what's being called a major weapons trafficking operation. Five men are now facing charges after a string of raids carried out across the Lower Mainland yesterday. Paul Hasem has the details. This footage from North Vancouver may be grainy, but the results are crystal clear. Everything about this is concerning. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit with a firearm show and tell on Wednesday after executing six search warrants across Metro Vancouver leading to the arrests of five men and the seizure of more than a dozen high-end firearms, ammunition, handguns, drugs, and money. In Burnaby, Langley, New Westminster, Coquitlam, North Vancouver, and Maple Ridge. And a firearm that ends up in the hands of the wrong person can cause an enormous harm to, the, to communities. The investigation started with an alleged firearms trafficker in the fall of 2022, leading police to five male suspects ranging in age from 24 to 39. Multiple charges have been laid, with more likely coming, with the province making a commitment to get tougher on guns. We have made calls for better uh, stepped-up uh, um, security at the, uh, the borders in terms of to intercept the flow of illegal guns into the province. Now, one of the most concerning parts of this cache of weapons is where they come from. This is a Kodiak that was made in Canada, while this is a Matador made in the U.S. The reach of these people is, is international. So if they cannot get them locally, uh, a lot of these people that are tra trafficking firearms, they have, they have ample resources. This is not a new problem in B.C., but it is costly. A recent study done over a five-year period found that firearms resulted in 108 deaths and 245 hospitalizations, costing the province an average of $294 million every year. We've been giving police the tools that they need. So when charges are laid, you've got a stronger case resulting in those people committing crimes uh, serving a longer sentence. A commitment to get guns out of the hands of criminals before the gun issue gets even more out of hand. Paul Hasem, Global News. One person has been hurt after fire ripped through a Coquitlam home. Smoke was first spotted just after 2.40 this afternoon, coming from a home on Dartmoor Drive. Firefighters say three people were home at the time, and everyone made it out with only one person suffering burns. Two dogs were also in the home. One is accounted for, while a search is on for the other, who is believed to have escaped the home. 
the cause of the fire is under investigation. Well, for the first time in three years, volunteers are out on the streets of Metro Vancouver trying to determine how many people are experiencing homelessness. More than 1,000 volunteers will hit the streets until midnight in 11 communities. The last count back in March of 2020 identified more than 3,600 people. The purpose of the count is to find out who is experiencing homelessness, how that has changed over the years, and why. The results will then be shared with agencies and government in order to come up with solutions. The count will always be an undercount, and we know that we need many different methods to really understand the changes. But through the count, we suddenly can understand more about youth experiencing homelessness or seniors experience homelessness and that's important information to, for us to bring back to our tables to test our strategies to look at some of those underlying root causes. A public report with the results will be released in the fall. Dozens of residents on the downtown east side endured a broken elevator for months and even though it has recently been repaired they want compensation for the time they were inconvenienced. Grace Key has more on their protest and what the building operator says about the delay. Our demands are reasonable. Tenants have come together. Tenants of the Portland Hotel in Vancouver's downtown east side are demanding compensation after their elevator was out of service for almost five months. They protested outside the office building of a board member of the nonprofit that runs the supportive housing complex. We just want to be recognized and have our demands not just heard, but they seem to be marginalizing us. Uh, extremely difficult. Uh, nine flights of stairs, there's a lot of stairs to walk up every day. I was uh, there the whole time, pulling my wheelchair up and down the stairs by myself. The elevator was fixed early February, a day after media coverage on a tenant protest. PHS Community Services, who runs the complex, says repairs were already in the works. It certainly was not that all of a sudden when there was, you know, eyes on us that, oh, we better fix the elevator. We had been struggling along trying and hoping for it to be fixed as soon as it could. When the elevator broke down in September, an elevator company was called in and BC Housing hired a consulting company. PHS was misinformed when told it was a wiring issue. Parts needed to be delivered and that happened sooner than expected. In fact, we've been trying to fix it the entire time and we're really at the mercy of parts and, and the labor to come in and get it done and program it properly. On top of compensation, residents want tenants who moved out due to mobility issues to be able to return. PHS says residents can return when a new elevator is installed. We don't want to move people back in before the elevator replacement happens because we'd have to move them again. We took great efforts to get the elevator fixed, but in the meantime, we offered everyone an opportunity to go to an alternative location. We had units available for people when they needed them. Many people took us up on that option. Residents will be without an elevator for 8 to 11 weeks when the old one is replaced. A new elevator could be up and running in the fall. Grace Key, Global News. Well, we finally have some answers about the tugboat disaster that killed two people off the coast of BC in February of 2021. The Ingenica was towing a barge in bad weather when it went down. The Transportation Safety Board report exposes the many mistakes that led to the tragedy. And as Paul Johnson reports, the victims' families say more must be done to protect mariners. Canada has to do better. Transport Canada has to do better. An emotional news conference in Vancouver Wednesday as family of the two men who died in the sinking of the tugboat in Janica 
reacted to a government report that confirmed much of what they'd always suspected. The forecast was for gale force winds and freezing spray along the voyage route. The tug sank two years ago on the north coast as it towed a cargo barge to Rio Tinto's Camano generating station. The decision to set out in those conditions is one of the factors in the Transportation Safety Board's findings on the accident. They think the tug and barge configuration was unsuitable for the wind and ocean currents they ended up facing. The drag force of the barge may have led the tug to heel over and the deck edge to submerge, resulting in down flooding through deck openings and the vessel sinking. But the TSB also pointed out a wider problem, a loophole in regulations that allows vessels under a certain size to be exempt from mandatory inspections. The 50-year-old Ingenica had never had an inspection, which the TSB believes may have led to the improper use of the tug and a reduced ability by the crew to react to an accident. It has been two years since we've lost Charlie and Troy, and not one actionable item has been implemented. The families of Charlie Craig and Troy Pearson and the union that represents many tugboat crews in B.C. want Transport Canada to close the loophole identified by the TSB and require inspections for the 1,000-plus tugs of this class working on the Pacific Coast. As for the company that owned the tugboat, Wainwright Marine Services, they're facing a number of charges and fines over the sinking and said they acknowledged the report from the TSB. There's so much blame to be had, but at the same time, we, we have to... continue to fight. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Rough waters ahead for B.C. ferries. How a wave of workforce trouble and other headwinds could make the summer travel season a real challenge. That's next on the NewsHour. Tim Horton's customers feeling burned by the roll-up-the-rim contest. What they thought they won but didn't. And how the company is responding tonight. Plus, the Canadian artist who might soon be as famous as the clients he paints for. That's still to come tonight. Right now, though, BC Ferry says it continues to struggle and has revised its four-year plan to deal with a number of expected challenges. As Kylie Stanton reports, that's despite a recent $500 million injection of funding from the provincial government. BC Ferries is signaling there's anything but smooth sailing ahead, revising its four-year plan in the wake of rising costs and staff shortages. It wasn't surprising for me. In a 41-page supplemental report to the Office of the BC Ferries Commissioner, the corporation is updating its outlook that was only submitted six months ago. It cites the expectation of a mild recession in its 2024 fiscal year a potential drop in traffic resulting in a $14 million hit to revenue, staffing issues and increased maintenance costs. Roughly 15 projects have now been cancelled and midlife upgrades for the coastal class vessels have been pushed back to 2034. BC Ferries, like many uh, companies, they uh, were they faced dramatically increased costs as a result of the pandemic, uh, impacts from the pandemic that are still playing out and the public health measures that were associated with that. To help curb this, as part of this year's budget, the province is providing BC Ferries with $500 million. Our intervention with BC Ferries 
uh, was to ensure predictability of fares for people that, are, uh, that live in ferry-dependent communities. BC Ferries was not available for comment on camera, instead providing a statement saying the $500 million will go a long way in protecting ferry users from higher fares. But the BC Ferries and Marine Workers Union isn't confident the money will solve the problems. People are just having to keep working and working and working. The fatigue is kicking in and, and, and and the, the job is just isn't what people thought it, or it should be. The report addresses the staffing concerns from lower wages and lack of trained employees to higher turnover. The seasonal employees are roughly 30% leaving halfway through a season. So people are hired in the spring. If you're losing 30% of your employment, you're doing something really wrong. And while the jobs are posted, the question is whether or not they'll be filled by the time the travel season kicks in. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And the report says exit interviews with employees who are leaving BC Ferries paint a relatively bleak picture of the work environment. Workers cite issues such as lower pay than the private sector, an unsustainable workload with 12 to 15 hour days, difficulties in maintaining work-life balance and high cost of living in some ferries communities. Just ahead, celebrating International Women's Day. I see a lot more women taking more of a CEO role, starting their own business, being entrepreneurs. The long ride to the top and why there are still hills to climb. Also, how First Nations knowledge keepers are helping improve the future of wildfire fighting. Good evening. Traffic has improved in both directions here at the Alex Fraser Bridge after clearing multiple earlier southbound issues. BCAA member, lucky you. BCAA members save three cents per liter off fuel at Shell. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. On International Women's Day, a call for greater supports for women in business. Krista Dow shows us how some entrepreneurial women are helping each other overcome challenges many men don't face. Here at the Cycle Collective, there is no doubt each workout is demanding, each rider pushing through the bird. Keep going. And motivating them all is Amanda Lau, owner and CEO of the club, whose passion is deeply rooted in bringing her psycho community together. It's the community that sort of keeps my purpose and passion going. And within the space, I'd say the women entrepreneurs that I've met, that are athletes, that have started their own careers, that are mothers, we are one huge community and we support each other. That community is growing in BC. A government report found 39% of small business owners are women, second in Canada only behind Nova Scotia. It also found women chose to work for themselves because of the flexible work-life balance. But that too came with its own set of challenges. What was really difficult in the beginning was managing family and business. And so when I launched my first business, I had a newborn baby, lost my receptionist, brought the baby to work with me. I mean, those are the types of things that you do as an entrepreneur. I would say because I am a single mother, ch challenging being at work and also raising two children and just managing my time. And while these two are now seeing success, they acknowledge there were ups and downs 
and say more supports are needed. Making those small modifications that make it so that women like us can have families and careers. And that might mean a little bit more time off or a little bit more leniency if something is needed on the, on the child care front. Proceeds from the class will support the Women's Network, a national group aimed at mentoring young women in professional spaces. If you look at the academic times, there is a history of male domination in some of those academic spaces. So to be able to just like have the ability to like have a little community to make sure that you're built up. And propping up the next generation of female trailblazers. Krista Dow, Global News. And on this International Women's Day, we're also hearing from a barrier-busting First Nations leader about her decision to step away from politics at the end of the month. NDP MLA Melanie Marks sat down with our Sonia Sunger, opening up about the hostility she faced on the job. This place felt like a torture chamber. Trembling as she grasps her sacred eagle feather, wearing her grandfather's jacket, Melanie Mark recounts the moment she announced her resignation. It's a very, very emotional day for me. There was a lot that led up to um, making that decision. After seven years serving as an MLA and minister, Mark stepped away from cabinet in the fall to focus on her health. During those six months, she was diagnosed with ADHD. When she returned to the legislature in January, she found it unbearable. This institution was built hundreds of years ago, mostly to suit the comforts of white men at the time on, we would call it, stolen Indigenous land. Uh, we've kept a lot of the conventions in that institution. Over 1,200 MLAs have been elected in history. Just over 100 MLAs are women that have been elected in history. And I became the first First Nations person to get elected in history. We have to think about that. We have 203 First Nations in British Columbia. We have a very, very diverse province, and we have a very resilient Indigenous community. We've been fighting for our self-determination for years. The way Indigenous people do business is not the way I thought we were going to do business in our democracy. I really want to emphasize that. I studied political science at SFU, and nowhere did I ever learn that that was the way politics was going to be. I had no idea that that is how our elected officials would be treated. Treated in what way? I think yelling at people, screaming at people, mocking people, pointing fingers and being verbally violent and aggressive. That, to me, is not acceptable behavior. Really, it's not. And I'm not going to say that I didn't join them in moments in question period when you've got someone screaming at you while you're trying to answer a question. Ask a question while I'm sitting here going like this in your face. What do you want to do? You want to fight back. You're not allowed to fight back in politics. Part of society expects us to take it. It goes with the job. Going back to my values as a Niska woman, as a matriarch, I just don't believe that's the way we should do business. And I'm a very loving, passionate, sensitive person. I care so deeply. That's the misunderstanding part. I'm like, oh, which fight, which, where, do I, where do I start for our people? Missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls? Foster children? Look around. And so when I say we have to do better, more, faster, because we can. And we should. As she packs up her office, her hope on International Women's Day to see a modernized, inclusive political system. I didn't quit. I stood up for myself. Everyone has a right to their self-determination. And I did great service for seven years. And now I'm taking space for my family. Mark's next steps? Become her own boss, continue to advocate for First Nations people, and write a book about her life. Sonia Sunger, Global News, Vancouver.
Coming up, the $10,000 prize that wasn't. It stated winner. It even had my name. Congratulations, Nicole. Tim Hortons takes it back after what looked like a roll-up-the-rim win. And new legislation inspired by the Nicole Chan tragedy, how it might save the lives of people in crisis. Still some leftover volume for southbound traffic at the Massey Tunnel tonight after avoiding the Alex Fraser Bridge. BCAA members save three cents per liter on fuel at Shell, plus 10% off in-store purchases and car washes. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 99. Well, frustration is brewing tonight for several Tim Hortons customers. The roll up the rim to win players were notified that they had won one of the top prizes, only to be told it was a mistake. As Sean O'Shea reports, Tim Hortons is blaming the issue on a technical error. You want a $10,000 prepaid Amex card? That sounds like a big win. Yeah, Congratulations. Like, thank you. <laughs> a lot of money on a Monday. Nicole Kirk thought she hit a real payday at Tim Hortons, where she stops most weekdays. <laughs> the company's annual roll-up-to-win contest makes use of the Tim Hortons app. For Nicole, the win was plain as day, right on the screen. It stated winner. It even had my name. Congratulations, Nicole. From Monday morning till Tuesday night, Nicole believed she'd won as she attempted to find out from the company how she'd get her prize. Then she got bad news. Unfortunately, as part of that entry. In the form of an email. They ended up stating that I wasn't a winner and um, they offered to give me a $50 Tim's gift card. Nicole wasn't alone. Other Canadians also won. Then they lost in the same way. Uh, explanation from those big brands is more important than that just offering a $50 uh, gift card. Tim Hortons told Global News it was a glitch. For a few hours on Monday morning, a technical error caused an issue for a small subset of roll-up-to-win players. They were shown an incorrect award message for a prize that is meant to be awarded once per day to one person in our jackpot draw. What has happened, why this has happened, and how they are going to make sure that you know this is not going to happen again in the near future. It's only fair. It's, if you rolled up and you win, should get something. If you won $10,000, yeah. do you think that they should have to pay you even if it was a mistake? Yeah, uh, yes, of course. It sucks, but what are you going to do? Are you going to fight Tim Hortons? Do you feel rewarded for your loyalty out of this? I don't, no. Um, to me, I thought I won a $10,000 Air Max prepaid card. That may not be a lot for a lot of people, but for me, that could be life-changing. Sean O'Shea, Global News. A B.C. Liberal MLA is hoping to make changes to the Mental Health Act in a move that could save lives. Eleanor Sturko introduced a private member's bill this afternoon, hoping to better protect people in crisis and help prevent suicide deaths. Richard Zussman shows us the inspiration behind the proposed legislation. An emotional plea from a heartbroken family. I'm hoping that this can prevent, you know, future deaths and other people, you know, having to go through what we're going through. On Wednesday, BC Liberal MLA Eleanor Sturko introducing legislation. In Victoria for the event, the family of Vancouver Police Constable Nicole Chan, who died by suicide hours after being released from hospital. If there was more information and communication between different parties, that could have been prevented. She might have been, you know, um, 
kept a little bit longer and her life might have been saved. The suggested law would require physicians or nurse practitioners to better understand someone's mental health history in an emergency before discharging them from hospital, making sure they contact someone with knowledge of the patient's mental health history in order to decide on involuntarily admitting someone under the Mental Health Act. It'll bring them an additional tool to, to make a potentially life-saving decision. Um, to certify someone who they may have just met uh, moments before in a busy emergency room. Opposition legislation is rarely debated, let alone passed. But in this case, Premier David Eby says he will look very closely at the legislation to see if the suggestions are needed. Certainly, if there's any opportunity for us to improve the information that's available to physicians or nurses when they're making that incredibly difficult decision about whether or not to hospitalize someone who's in crisis, uh, we're willing to look at that. Todd Marr died by suicide in 2009, also after being released from hospital. The day of his death, it was Sterko, then an RCMP officer, who consoled a distraught mother. He took his life. He told us he loved us. And next thing I know, Eleanor was there beside me. Sterko once again on Mars' side, this time in an attempt for both of them to make dramatic changes in the province. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, wildfire boot camp. A wealth, a depth of useful information that we could use to make better decisions. How ancient wisdom and modern science can combine to keep communities safe. Plus. So anything that I've liked growing up, I like to try, try to translate that as, as much as I can to my work. Artist to the stars, the Canadian pop culture fan painting his way to fame. A first-of-its-kind boot camp in Kamloops is aiming to change the way B.C. deals with climate disasters by bringing in more First Nations involvement. As Julie Nolan reports, even the teachers are learning something new. That's why we need these charts and guides and checklists and cheat sheets. This is practical training for what's to come, planning ahead for the very real possibility of more wildfires and flooding in B.C. Early activation, just keeping your eyes open. Many natural disasters happen on First Nations territory, and so this boot camp is giving them the knowledge and the tools to save their own land and people. Our biggest goal with Finesse right now is, is getting in and training the First Nations and developing teams within the First Nations communities. So grab this tube and we'll roll it on that way. This theoretical and hands-on learning is being led by the First Nations Emergency Services Society, or Finesse. About 80 Indigenous and non-Indigenous students are here in Kamloops for this first ever boot camp. There's a, a, a wealth and depth of useful information that we could use to make better decisions to, to support and, and protect our communities. But this learning is also two-way, with community members now armed with the apparatus they need in these trailers and knowledge, like how to use what's called a tiger dam in the event of a flood. Finesse is also there to help First Nations by learning to rely on them for vital information. You know, we go into First Nations lands and it's the elders that provide the information, they know the land better than anybody, the weather patterns, uh, you know, and, and it's vital for us as responders when we're going in to support our First Nations to, to, to meet up with them and gather that information. Thinking about braiding the two sources, uh, the two languages together to come to the best, again, information to make the best decision possible. 
learning to listen to each other. These partnerships also empower First Nations to take charge in the event of a natural disaster. Everyone have a good time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And to help everyone be ready for whatever tomorrow will bring. Julie Nolan, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a look at our weather forecast. Saw some sunshine, some sunny moments uh, earlier today, Christy. Yeah, it was nice to have some sunny moments, that's for sure. It's nice also to know that the wildfire season is still off in the distance. Uh, we had a thunderstorm, though, this evening that was south of the border, just track across western sections of Metro Vancouver. No lightning strikes in our region, but we certainly saw downpours of rain with these very dark clouds as it continues to track out of the region. I guess we still have a slight chance of an isolated cell once again this evening, but overall things are going to settle down overnight, and we are expecting sunshine. What we're watching is this low-pressure center. It's an upper level low that's going to track south of the border and that's going to impact southern BC with snowfall as we head into spring break Friday and Saturday so we're really giving everyone a heads up in terms of snowfall just as people are traveling it'll be great news for the, the mountains across southern BC but not great for travel so look, tomorrow we're expecting sunshine it's not until Friday that this system begins to track across the southern regions and you can see it just touches into areas like the southern interior mainly impacting the Kootenai region but nonetheless, we could see pockets of snow all across the mountain passes, and we even have a slight chance of a flurry in through our region. But overall, the precipitation in Metro Vancouver is going to be light. Once again, tomorrow is bright. We do have a slight chance of a flurry across the far southern parts of southern uh, Okanagan, but otherwise expect sunshine in the mix with a little bit of cloud cover highs of 9 degrees. Much cooler, though, on Friday as that upper-level trough swings across the region, so a chance of a shower or flurry, but it's good that we are aren't going to see much moisture in our region. Showers over the weekend. Don't forget we change our clocks Sunday morning. That means sunset will be at about 7, 12 p.m. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Burnaby, but this is looking out over the new Westminster area. Stephanie Troll sending us that. That was the full moon from last night. So back to you. <laughs> Thank you, Christy. We were, just, we were just discussing, because you mentioned the time change. Uh -huh. We spring yes. forward, which means we lose an hour of sleep, mm -hmm. but Squire is still excited. I know, because I, it means warmer weather is coming. Yeah. means isn't longer nice? evenings, which is so nice. Yeah, isn't it nice to sit in your backyard or something, like 9 o'clock well, at night, and it's still sunny and especially warm? Especially for those of us who don't finish work until 7. See? Yes. See? Totally. Like, driving home when it's yeah. still light out is so exactly. nice. There you yeah. go. Okay, next week. Looking forward to it. Uh, okay. What's happening? Well, Anaheim is in town tonight. One of the few teams below the Canucks in the standings, but... Vancouver is on the verge of passing other teams in front of them. Like I told you guys before, we can't waste games of practices. You know, we're trying to build something. The Bedard Brigade would, like Rick Talkins, do his building without so many wins. The Canucks are favorites to get this game tonight. Also coming up tonight, a Canadian artist sharing his pop culture obsession with the world. How social media helped his famous clients find him. All right, Squire. It's the rhyming game tonight. I get it. You get it? I get it. Canucks versus Ducks. Vancouver's won three of its last four, so it's beginning to move up in the standings. Right now, the Canucks are the seventh worst team in the NHL, but they are close to jumping over both Philadelphia and St. Louis. Remember, you can only win first overall in the draft lottery if you're no higher 
than 11th worst. Luckily, 11th right now is Washington, and the Capitals are 11 points ahead of Vancouver. So it will be tough to catch them. With more on tonight's game between the Canucks and the Ducks, here's Jake. Vancouver Canucks at the midway point of this current six-game homestand. They've won two of their last three and have scored four goals in those hockey games. Tonight, they get a weak Anaheim Ducks team that is fully immersed in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Ducks just three points ahead of Columbus, who sit last in the entire National Hockey League. We got to play every game, whether they're non-playoff or not. Like, you know, it's a different game, every game. I think it's a one step at a time. I know these are cliches, but you have to have that mentality going into next year. The Canucks have 19 games to go in their season. Almost those are against teams with losing records. Starting tonight against Anaheim, nine of those games are against teams that are completely out of the playoff picture. It's the perfect scenario to evaluate defensemen like Guillaume Brisebois, who signed a new two-year contract yesterday, Noah Juleson, and Christian Wolanin. All three of them are seeing significant playing time under Rick Tockett, something they didn't get under former coaches Travis Green or Bruce Boudreaux. I think there's a difference between going down there and just biding your time and trying to do the bare minimum to get by and then just wait and hopefully you can turn it on by the time you get back up here. I think this will be game nine tonight and that's the most I've played in a long time in a row so I'm thankful for the opportunity and like I said I feel better and, and more like myself each each shift and each game. Now that I found uh, the rhythm it's it's uh, it's really good and it feels good obviously for, for confidence and everything it's it's been way better this year and Play, being able to play some games in a row has been, uh, it's, it's helped me a lot. So every day is, is getting easier, and I think that's, uh, that's the biggest thing, and just going out there and enjoying it, I think is the, the best part for me right now. It just seems like the game's slowed down for them. And there's times where there's pressure hits that they, you know, they get the, some, you know, a little bit of habits being down there. But um, here, uh, I, I really like the fact that they've stuck together and, and really gave some good minutes for guys that, uh, you know, come in in a pinch. I thought they've done a terrific job for us. After being given Monday off against Nashville, Thatcher Demko is back in the net tonight. It's the Ducks tonight and Ottawa Senators on Saturday. From Rogers Arena with your ringside report, Jay Janor, Global Sports. And it'll be busy down by the stadiums because the Whitecaps are starting their two-game total goal Champions League series against Real España of Honduras. Game two is next Wednesday down in Honduras. So... The idea is score as many goals as possible at home. There is no such thing as don't rub it in. You can have no quarter in these series. You have to keep scoring. And if the Whitecaps do fill the net tonight, they'll be doing it with an unfamiliar soccer ball. It's not just playing a team from Honduras that's different. It's the Nike-made soccer ball, which is different than the Adidas ball the Whitecaps would play with in MLS games. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, all soccer balls are round. How can they be different? Well, to a player, they are different. Um, I would say it, it stays in the air a bit longer. When you hit it, it kind of floats, kind of more like a volleyball per se. Yeah, of course, the, every ball is different, of course. Like, uh, every ball has a little bit of, uh, it's a little harder, or it flies more, or it flies less. That's the reason why today we trained with, uh, with this ball. And uh, at the end, actually, we were... Uh, I don't know if you saw, we did a lot of shooting also to get the confidence with the player and also to have a more, uh, more hit. Definitely different than what we're used to in the league, um, but they have to play with it as well. So I think we have the same advantage, disadvantage going into it. It's just a ball. We all played the sport long enough, so we'll be fine, I think. Yeah. The good thing that every ball is rounded, so the game is the same. Speaking of a game with a round ball... BC Boys 4A basketball started today. Mount Baker of uh, Cranbrook against Semiamu, number one. Semiamu was the runners-up last year. They've been second three times in their history in this tournament. Still looking for a win. 
Cole Beckering with the rebound in the basket here after a couple of minutes or misses make that. And then uh, Andre Zuko, steal and score. Easy win for Semiamu, 116-52 over Mount Baker. Let's check out Claremont Spartans on the island against Kelowna Owls. Walker Sodero. He'll go all the way for K-Town. Got to show you this though, six foot seven Camden Sparks. The big man can move. But Claremont lost, 79-60. This is all going on at the Langley Event Center. If you want to head out there in BC in the uh, Briar, lost earlier today to uh, Quebec. 7-6 right now in the 10th end and are losing to Ontario, 7-6. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Squire. Up next in Alberta, Painter's Brush with Stardom. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, tax relief is on the way for certain Vancouver businesses. Council has approved a pilot program for targeted tax breaks. The goal is to help out small businesses like restaurants and coffee shops forced to pay massive property tax bills for the undeveloped airspace above them. At 11, we'll tell you how much the relief is, how many properties are eligible, and when you need to declare by. Plus, a closer look at the questions and the pressure piling on the Prime Minister about foreign meddling. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Well, the colorful work of an Edmonton artist has caught the eye of celebrities both near and far. He's creating masterpieces for Marvel superheroes and sports stars, the very people that have inspired his work. Ciara Yaschuk has more on his latest project. This local artist is one brush stroke away from becoming a household name like the people he paints. Rahman Hamid paints modern contemporary pop art inspired by anime, superheroes and sports. The comic books I read, the cartoons I grew up watching or the sports icons that I you know, grew up being fans of. So anything that I've liked growing up, I like to try, try to translate that as, as much as I can to my work. And I like my work to be very um, easy to connect with. Well, it's connected with people and not just anyone. It's thanks to the help of social media and determination. I reached out to the actor uh, Simu Lu uh, on New Year's Eve, actually. Um, I saw that he posted something on his Instagram. I can't really remember what it was, but I just commented, hey, um, I'd love to get you some artwork this year. The Canadian actor and Marvel superhero took notice and an hour later started liking some of Hamid's photos, followed by a direct message the next morning. I'd love to get some artwork done. Uh, what can you do? So I'm like, what do you want to do? He's like... I have this home gym and I'd like to, like to get a mural done uh, on one of the walls. I'm like, all right, let's talk. Let's try to make this happen. Come February 20th, Hamid was on a plane to L.A. He had three days to paint a 20-foot wide and 10-foot tall masterpiece. So something of that size and detail would t typically take about a week, week and a half. But since we were kind of on a time crunch, I had three days to do it. So I'm like... It's either I do it and I absolutely crush it or I don't do it and that there goes my reputation, but thankfully I was able to uh, get it done. Okay. Yeah, take the boot. Okay, not too much. Good job. If you ask Hamid if this is the biggest name he's collaborated with, according to him, it's most certainly not. Movie star, television star, yes, but I'd say he's up there with one of my other bigger clients. He's an Edmonton legend. Um, I'm not going to drop any names, but he plays hockey. Our very own Connor McDavid, painting three pieces for his home one of his dog, a Batman piece, and an abstract portrait. 
Now, Hamid's work can be found all over Edmonton, from the hallways of Kingsway Mall to the hallways of the rich and famous. This artist is one brushstroke away from becoming his own phenomenon. It's kind of surreal, to say the least. It's kind of like, is this actually happening? But then when you take a step back, you're like, yeah, it's, it's happening because you, you put the work into it. Sierra Yaschuk, Global News, Edmonton. What was I, that you said? I wonder what we would look like as comic book characters. <laughs> well, I would hope that whoever's drawing me would enhance my muscle structure. Well, do we, I, I mean... you would be very fast-looking, Squire. I would be very yeah. fast-looking and also very yeah. thin, so I could quickly get into male slots. That could be my superpower. Oh, that would be your superpower. Yeah. I don't think I would have one. <laughs> Christy would be the forecaster. She would, like, make rainstorms happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can control the weather. <laughs> exactly. Mm. I can just read out loud. Have a good night, everyone. <laughs>